This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to another edition of My Chelsea, which, uh, as you all know by now, is a, is a little series that we're doing, uh, usually going out on a Friday night in lieu of uh, the fact that we, we don't do the Love Sports show anymore, which is, uh, like so many of us, been furloughed. Um, and it really gives an opportunity for all of my friends that I've, I've kind of either grown up with at Chelsea or, or met through following Chelsea to share their journey about how they became a Chelsea fan. And I tell you what, I'm having so much fun doing this, and I hope... All of my guests have two. And my next one is very special for very, very many reasons. Um, he's the first uh, American that I've decided to have on the My Chelsea. He's also the first uh, fan, as you'll find out a minute, in a minute or two, who came to us uh, during the Roman Abramovich era. So you won't hear any crusty old stories about players with long hair in the 1970s or anything like that. This will be all very, very modern and up-to-date. Um, and they're also great, great mates of mine because uh, so they, they he, he will probably tell me this again, but they always say to me that the Chelsea fan cast was their inspiration. Um, well, you know, if if I think maybe it should be more Sorcerer's Apprentice because what they do on London is Blue knocks us into the hat. We're like we're like crazy amateurs compared to these guys now. They've really proed up, as they might say, over there. So a massive warm welcome to uh, the legend that is Brandon Busby. Oh, that's it's too kind of you, Chidge. Obviously, I'm very excited to be here. Been listening to these in my lockdown quarantine, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm thrilled to to kind of go from apprentice to to being on your show now. That's quite a jump. Well, I know, and I, it's very remiss of me because I've been promising you guys, any one of you, in fact. I mean, I know you kind of crept in and were very lovely on the on the five hundredth. 
uh, episode that we did where we we basically got people to blow smoke up our ass for two hours. Uh, and I know you did a think, fan- you did a fantastic job on that, but I've been promising. I think we were in part seven of that. You definitely stretched that out. Oh no no no! If you didn't realize that the best came came to the last of that. I appreciate you, you it. You were in the bit with all the ex players and and it's true. and Chell Tell. It's very true. So you were like the payoff, mate. You were like the you know the denouement of the whole saga. So don't don't uh, don't feel um, undercooked because you were there and not up at the beginning. And you were very lovely on that. But I have been promising you for ages that I'd get one or you know several of you on on our main show on on a Monday uh, on the fan cast. But uh, you know what happens? The bloody coronavirus pandemic and the lockdown. And you know, like you guys, we we took a decision to really talk about what's going on or what's not going on more to the point uh and to carry on doing something different and i you know even some of the younger members of the fan cast aren't getting much of a look in at the moment because they weren't born in the seasons that we're talking about so uh but your time will come brandon when it all comes back we'll get you boys on don't you worry about that looking forward to it good man now i'm looking forward to this too uh because uh for the rare the rare opportunity for me to actually talk to somebody about football matches that i can just about remember so i'm really looking forward to this but first of all uh brian how how you know how did your journey begin as a chelsea fan yeah probably quite different from a lot of the people in england and obviously europe but very familiar to a lot of the people over here in america and that you know as you know, football and soccer became more prominent on TV over here in the United States. Uh, I can remember the Fox Soccer Channel and ESPN were starting to dabble in rights and showing things. And um, while they sh- they didn't show leagues regularly, they did, f- you know, find the World Cups and the Euros and and the uh, kind of the big international turns more exciting. So um, I'd been watching a little bit of the Premier League, but nothing that intensely. Uh, but then I got into high school and they showed the the European Championships back in 04. And as a goalkeeper, I was absolutely drawn to to Petr Cech. He, as they say, stood on his head in that tournament. Um, or or helmet. Well, actually, no, it, he didn't have his helmet. Not yet. Then. Uh, true. Yeah. Um, but honestly, he was just a revelation. It was fantastic. So I was like, that guy, like, we need to pay attention to, to this guy named Petr Cech. And then after that, the summer, you know, when he joined Chelsea, um, I'd already been casually watching the Premier League. So I started to follow Chelsea more. And obviously, you know, not knowing what I was walking into in the 0405 season, um, it was, it immediately pulled me in. And, uh, you know, with Jose Mourinho's new team and their attacking style and their confidence to just win one nothing and have no concern about it, just, that team was so fantastic to watch that I immediately fell in love with them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, kind of big Pete took me to Chelsea and, uh, when he went to Arsenal, I let him do his thing. Uh, I stayed back without a doubt, but yeah, he's definitely the inspiration behind it. And I mean, the, the, the interesting thing, I mean, what, what a time to start supporting Chelsea. You, you must've thought it was like this all the time. And I wonder how aware you were of just how, I mean, for us lot, it was just, just it was like we'd all dropped acid overnight and woken up in a completely different reality you know having seen what had been going on before uh i mean did you have any consciousness of that that this was just not this was not the norm for chelsea no not at all and i didn't even know what to expect going into that 0405 season either so i'd known liverpool and united were like the big teams in in 
England and Europe. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I know about Juventus and AC Milan and Bayern. Like, I followed soccer and football, but I didn't know a lot about the the English game. So, me coming there, it just seemed like it was a party. This is what Chelsea are like. Let's <laughs> let's let's get on board. And hearing back, you know, to the Ranieri's times, the Viali times, and you know, Gronkier's billion dollar goal and all these things, absolutely oblivious at the time, you know, what and whatsoever. And so it was kind of like a weird timing to stumble onto a team, uh, especially in their history, knowing about one bankrupt. Things could have been very different six months prior. Well, yeah, not the first time that had happened either. I mean, you know, it, it's it's really not unusual. I mean, in my experience, uh, you fall in love with a club for several different reasons. You know, a lot of my friends, as you know, are born and bred. I mean, you know, their, their father was a Chelsea fan, their grandfather mm-hmm. and their, their great-grandfather. So they have no choice, you know, they're born into it. Others, uh, you know, I mean, like me, I mean, in a, in a weird sense, I fell in love with it because I went there, not even for a Chelsea match, but I fell in love with the ground and the place, and then it all kind of took off from there. Um, but a lot of people are like you; they 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 like a player, uh, and and this seems to be something a lot of the people in the '60s have told me. You know, they they fall in love with a particular player, and then, boom, off they go. So, it's interesting, isn't it? Generations apart, thousands of miles apart, and yet you can still find it in in broadly similar ways. Yeah, it, without a doubt, and especially you know, I was in high school, getting ready to go to college. I knew I wanted to play. I soccer you know was kind of like my driving force in my life so when i looked at chelsea like i saw a lot of things that i wanted like from a play style and different things like that too so like i was really you know looking at them from their approach to the game and and their you know like i said their styles and 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 things like that too so it was really fun for me to like take inspiration from this team so i had like a deeper connection that way too not just on the tv and then YouTube had, had been going at that time. It just started to get going. So you start to find clips and things, but it's nowhere like it is today too. Um, finding information back then was difficult. So you literally were waiting week to week to kind of get your fix and to get caught back up again. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, how did it feel? I, I mean, I'm gonna, there's a question I want to ask you in a minute, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on for that one. But how did it feel? You know, to support because I can't, I can't even imagine what this is like. But to to fall in love with a team, to support a team, which you don't know whether you might ever have the chance to actually to go and actually watch them in situ, or or have no other real connection with the place at all, other than the fact that you've kind of found them through watching them on the TV. I mean, how, how did that feel? Well, it's kind of interesting because when you start out, you don't ever really think that's a possibility. So mm. you just kind of accept that you're like, hey, this is my team. They're halfway around the world. Well, you don't even think of it as my team. You're like, I'm interested in this team. I like watching this team. They're halfway around the world. Like, that's cool. I just, this is just the situation I'm in. Um, whereas as it, you know, start to grow and, and you find your connection, you know, I, I, my big thing was I would love, I always buy a scarf after every time we win a trophy. I have a lot of scarves, but like, that was my <laughs> thing. Um, you know, I, my birthday's in August, so I would always get the new home. When, kit when's your parents. birthday? The second. I'm the fifth. Did you know that? Well, there you go. I didn't. Tony Glover. FA Cup party. Yeah. Tony Glover's is the sixth. 
And there you go. Um, Ollie Glanville is also the fifth. And Salomon Kalou. There's a, like- there's a lot of Chelsea birthdays around that time. I have, and now here's another one. How fantastic. Yeah. We'll have to do an early season we do. trip we'll next time and celebrate. Yeah. I mean, um, go on, go on, Brandon. Yeah, but I was just to say, you know, so so it's kind of like you just it was you just accepted it. it. It was what it was. Now, years later, when my connection had deepened through relationships and social media and and things, then I kind of had that itch to really cement that relationship with the club and go to London, you know. But for the first ten years plus, it was just this is it. I have to watch it a distance and. I'll kind of take it and accept it. And like looking, it's fine. In, look, looking through the shop window, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you know, I've got a, I've got a huge affinity with America and and and, and Americans, um, and I know that you can have a connection uh, with a country that's thousands of miles away and its culture. I mean, I, I've always loved New York. I've always loved L.A. Uh, and a lot of things that I mean, a lot of music I love is is from the states. So you can have that connection without actually, you know, being five minutes away. So I get mm-hmm. that it, it's doable. Now the thing I was going to ask you, um, I mean, you know, you're a little bit. I mean, you wouldn't have been born when when America had the the World Cup in 1994. Yes, you weren't born then, and of course you definitely weren't around when they had the uh, you know the National Soccer League in the 70s when Pelé and Croy from Beckenbauer. Yeah, yeah. So my understanding of, of football in the states and its evolution were those were two quite, quite you know quite big tipping points you know late 70s and then 1994, and yet you didn't you weren't around for both of those so that couldn't have been the case. So I, I noticed that you played as a goalkeeper in college. So my other understanding about the states is that. You know, football's very, very popular, you know, as a girls' sport, but not so popular uh, as, as a bloke sport, largely because you get siphoned off to play baseball or American football. So I'm, you know, I'm curious as to how you got into playing football. Because, I mean, you, you, if you hadn't played football as a kid, I'm betting that you wouldn't have found, you know, Premier League football later in life. No, I agree with that. And, and I guess I should clarify, I was, I was almost seven during the 94 World Cup, so... I was aware of it. Oh, you were around. Yeah, but I wasn't really like, you know, watching it. You know, it's it, it wasn't really something I remember too much. So it's like JK in the 50s. Don't really remember it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he doesn't remember last week, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Love JK. Uh, so for me, uh, my dad. So it's weird, too. I grew up in Iowa, right? Like Midway, Midwest, very ur- rural you know state what, uh, what's that film of the bloke who travels on a tractor all the way across iowa do you know the film uh, i mean no oh, but that's, man, that's that's some people's commutes unfortunately it's just nuts it's about this old guy who, who, who you know on an oxygen mask he decides to get up and get on a track i've now got to find the name of it i'm gonna have to yeah I'll have to i've got friends up. in iowa yeah and she, well, do you know what she sells john deere tractors mate probably does really well for herself absolutely right there's a big market so, for them there yeah, thankfully I grew up in one, uh, one of the cities there, so Cedar Rapids, and we we had the youth leagues as a kid, right? So I played baseball, basketball, and thankfully my dad somehow played soccer at his tiny Division three school, but not competitively whatsoever. So like my parents were just putting me in all these sports as a kid to be like, you have a lot of energy, get out of the house. And, um, and throughout the years, that's the one that just stuck. I never played American football. I just had no interest in it. 
I really liked basketball and I, I loved soccer. And part of it was that and it was a little countercultural. Like when you're in high school, you maybe play basketball or football for the Jersey, you know, and in soccer, the only people that were there were genuine because you got made fun of for playing soccer. Really? And so, oh yeah. You know, well, short well, shorts, yeah. it's a girl sport. it's not physical. Um, you know, the typical things like that. And so uh, I knew that by playing soccer, everyone there were genuine. There were no egos and we were just, you know, there because we were passionate about it. And thankfully I had some really, really quality coaches. I had some really quality teammates and we had success. So it was just an easy thing for me, but um, I also just love the goalkeeper role. I, you know, I got to use my hands. I got to yell at people. I didn't have to run. Uh, there's a lot of upside to it. And so uh, I just, yeah, I, I had it. And I knew the second I got into high school as a 14 year old that I wanted to play in college and go as far as I could. And um, yeah, it was just a huge part of my life, honestly. And it, obviously it still is today. My full-time job, I work in soccer and youth sports. Uh, my hobby, which is another full-time job, the podcast and, and watching it. So um, yeah, soccer is, it's, it's honestly a massive part of my life. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, goalkeeper, I'm, I love the fact, by the way, that you loved to be a goalkeeper. That's what you wanted to do. Because when I was a kid, the goalkeeper was either mad, goalkeepers yeah. are known to be crazy people. A little bit. Yeah. Or it was the fat kid because they yep. were bigger. So therefore, you know, I love logic of kids. Well, you're fattest, so you you take up more of the goals, so you can be goalkeeper. <laughs> I know. Or they were just so crap and they had two left feet that the, the safest place to put them was in goal. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how it worked when I was... <laughs> So, was you, so now you want to know which one I was? <laughs> I think you're mad, Brandon. And this I already know. I, I know you're mad because to do what you know what we do every week requires a, a base <laughs> level of, of insanity. I know only too well. So true. Okay, mate. Um, now I, I know you, you know. Obviously, you know your first game doesn't have to be, you know, at the Stamford Bridge. Although I know we, we're going to cover both bets here. But was the first match you watched on TV for Chelsea? And I'm imagining. As it was the 2004-05 season, it would have been uh, Chelsea-Man United, wouldn't it? Absolutely. That was it. So kicking it off right away with that one. Because um, it was the, the first match of the season. And it's kind of funny because I have a younger brother, five years younger. He We did the same thing. Soccer, basketball, we both played drums. Like We did everything except we had rivalries. And so I was like, well, hey, I'm watching Chelsea. He was like, cool, I'm watching Manchester United. So not only that, but now our sibling rivalry had been born with that too. Um, but that was like the first one I remember, you know, getting up on a, on a weekend day to go downstairs and turn on Fox Soccer Channel to watch it, you know, the opening of the season. Um, you know, so, you know, Chelsea snuck it out one nothing, good Janssen goal, went back, watched the highlights. Um, and it kind of gives you chills to like remember being back in your basement as a teenager and kind of being like, well, here we go. This is it. <laughs> Excellent. You know, I, I was I was there, obviously, up with Dr. Mark on Gate 17. And, uh, you know, bizarrely, I, I, I don't I don't remember. I mean, I know that I, I remember the good Johnson goal very well, but I really don't remember much about the match at all. I just remember everybody being just so utterly, utterly, massively excited you know, because it was, I mean, look at the, I'm looking at the debuts here. Look at the debutants in that match. Petacek, Ricky Carvalho, I'll, I'll skirt over Alexi Smertin. 
Didier Drogba, Paolo Ferreira, uh, Kesman was the other debutant. I mean, you know, it was the beginning of a of a whole new era, and it really, yeah. really felt uh, it felt um, it felt like that because, of course, it, the other debutant, which of course we shouldn't underestimate for one jot here, was Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we'd had that whole. Remember that we'd had that whole season before uh, where Ranieri was the manager, but we'd had a year of Rome and we'd been buying all of these players. And uh, we were very, very excited. We thought we were going to like take on everybody. This season, uh, I, I can remember vividly, I felt absolutely sure because we had Mourinho in charge, we were going to win the league that year. I felt sure we were going to win the league that year because it would have been the 50th anniversary of us winning it, the, the one and only time we had. So I was sure. But you get Man United as your first game of the season and it and it, it, it puts those kind of wobbles in you. Um, so actually it was a massively important match because, I mean, the, the fact that we beat them and we shithoused it 1-0, it kind of, it just, it, there, was, there was kind of validation about it. I remember that vividly. So it's a great match. Yeah, completely oblivious to it too, you know, like I just assumed that this is this, you know, multicultural team, that this is the norm. You know, I, I, Fox Soccer didn't do a, a profile on Mourinho, you know, it's so like for me, it was just coming in with a clean slate, you know, it's like the most pure, unadulterated version of I have no outside influencers or factors. I just know I like this goalkeeper. Let's see what happens. And then I know United, you knew it was a big win. Um, but yeah, like there, there just was no context and programming behind it back in the day. You know, it just, it was, here's a day of highlights or here's the day of matches. We'll do a highlight show and you'll see in a week. That was it. Excellent. Now, you know, I know you guys eventually made it over to Chelsea and your, your first mm-hmm. match was, uh, on, you know, literally, uh, right at the end of the season wasn't it when uh when we played Middlesbrough at home under Conte the year we won the title under Conte yeah that was that was my first time being in London obviously seeing Chelsea um it was only I think the second time Nick Dan and I or third time we'd ever met in person and we've been doing the podcast for three and a half years at this point um, I know Nick had been to London, but never seen a match. Dan had been to London and seen two matches. So it was also just this really kind of like kid in the candy store type feel. Everything was a first. Um, we obviously got to meet up with you and a lot of the others from the fan cast, but just like sensory and emotion overload for this match. And again, we were under Conte where we are in pole position to win the league um, we had fellow American in goal for Middlesbrough, Brad Guzan. Um, and I just remember walking into the stadium being so nervous. I couldn't get through the turnstiles because I was American and I wouldn't figure so it where, out. So where were you sitting? We were in the East Lower, I think. And so at least we didn't have to climb all the stairs to get to East Upper, which is now where we usually sit. Um but then you just walk over those stairs and you see the pitch, uh, you know, and everything and just all kind of like hits you and rushes you. Because this is, that was, you know, 13 years in the making, more or less. Yeah. And if uh, that, just like euphoric, you know, uh, if I've never done ecstasy, but probably it sounds like it might be like that. 
And it's just like you take everything in, whether it's the announcers, the scoreboard. I guess it's not a scoreboard really for you guys, you know, but um, just the chance, the people around you, um, the, the, the view of the pitch, kind of the way they play, the smells, the atmospheres. And I'm looking around Stanford Bridge because I've never been it. I, we did a stadium tour, I guess, but you're, you're looking at the awnings. You're looking at, you know, the fact you can see out and there's the city around it. It just, there was so much to take in. And that match went by so fast. It was like, it was overall as just as it started. And I was like, no, I, I want more. I need more, like keep playing, do something. Mm. Um, but obviously having the three, the three goals, um, you know, get smashed in through Guzan's legs. It was fine. I thought it was funny. Um, but we got to see, you know, Eden Hazard. We got to see John Terry came on as well in the second half. Like to me, it, we, we also had a, a big push to get there because we didn't know if JT was coming back or not. And we knew the league. So the fact that we got to go and see John Terry play and we got to, you know, essentially see Chelsea win the league and things like that, it just checks so many boxes above and beyond just going to go um, that it, it will never be, un- it'll never be matched. And it's my version of a player when you ask them, Joe Cole, You've won so many trophies. What's your favorite? They always go back to the first because you've never experienced anything like it. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's lovely listening to, to you, you know, talk about that, you know, as a grown man, you know, with his first time at Stanford Bridge, but you sound like a 10-year-old kid. It's just, and that mm-hmm. that is the point. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you love this, then it just hits you in exactly the same way and, yeah, special, excellent stuff. So uh, normally I would say, who are your players' favorite players growing up? But um, you you were grown up by now, Brandon. So this, yeah. is, this is a rare treat for me to 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 have somebody describe players that I know know and would have seen week in week out as well. So, what about your favorite players? Yeah, I mean it's it's the spine, right? The Czech, JT, Lamps, Drogba, just seeing them, you know, from the start to where their career's finished and, and the journey throughout it. I mean, those are some of the most reliable and big game players that, you know, the world's ever seen. And to have them all together under one roof was, was unbelievable because you knew you always had a chance, no matter what the situation was. And I think we've lacked that uh, massively in the last few years. Um, but just, again, that core was unbelievable uh, i loved michael essian um just his play style and his ability to have strength with technique i thought was that was that was new to me didn't know it could be combined um i loved just kind of the the leg, the folklore status of mikel um that was just a fun time seeing his career and how it went and everything with us but um i loved having him around i loved juan mata um, just, he was the nicest guy he mm-hmm. had, but then he had the most weaponized left foot ever. And it was stone cold when he's on the pitch. Love peak Maluda and Joe Cole. And I think just those Mata, Maluda, Cole, those, those super creative, expressive wingers or, you know, number tens. Um, I think a lot of us like them, obviously Eden Hazard filled that role too. And we've just been fortunate to have so many of them, Iron Robin, you know, earlier in the time. Um, but that's a space kind of on the pitch that players are allowed to have their freedom and take risks. And so I think that it's easy to enjoy them 
because, you know, as a left back, you're not taking risks, you know, you're, you're there to do a job and keep it simple. These guys, you know, they, they're much more artistic with, with how they do it. So I've always had fun kind of watching uh, the, our top players kind of perform out in those areas. I, I, I get that actually. I mean, and you know, you've, you've listed some of my favorite modern day players mm-hmm. there. And, and I mean, the, the interesting thing about it, um, you know, I, I, the, the, I didn't get a season ticket until 2002. So, you know, before that, it was always very random or, or, or not at all for many years. So, you know, the likes of Czech, JT, Lamps, Drogba, Joey Cole, many others, you know, it's the first time in my lifetime that I've been able to say I've, I've seen their entire Chelsea career being at the ground. Yeah. as opposed to on TV. So I kind of really get what you mean. And, and there is something quite special about that, I think, when you've been able to see an entire career of a Chelsea player. And I think it it really cements, it cements you know, your love of them in a, in, a, in a funny sort of way. You know, so I certainly get that. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Now, um, you know, unlike Mark Meehan, who, who gave me about 20 favorite matches which was hilarious and it's a very long show as a result but it was like a potted history of Chelsea um <laughs> you know these are all matches that I was I'm just looking at it actually uh I was at every single one of these matches so that that is also a first this is the first yeah. my Chelsea where I can say safely I was at every single one of these matches so so tell me about your favorites Brandon I mean for me you know it's they've all been littered with success and trophies. Like there's no denying that, that my time with Chelsea has been the best time with Chelsea. And so getting to, to pick matches out, I mean, the consistency is just, 
the tenured success this club has had, like just from start to finish, it's unmatched really. Um, but you know, smashing Arsenal and Wenger's thousandth match in charge, that just adds hilarity to the result in general. Um, I, I, when I watched the Liverpool champions league matchup in 2009, that was an interesting introduction to the away goal rule didn't really know what was going on until that match. And it was wild. And I didn't know who was winning <laughs> at certain points in that, in that tie. Um, but the drama, the John Onrisa own goal, just everything that was going on. It was one of the most wild experiences and practically gave me a heart attack while I was in college. Um, I think it's kind of interesting because as we talk about cup tournaments, the FA cup, I've, I've, thoroughly enjoyed all of the FA cup finals we've been in. Obviously the ones we win are the ones I remember, but there is something special about that one-off tournament that I've been drawn to as well. Um, and so I adore the FA cup and, and the amount of times we've won it has been fantastic. Obviously my first ever match Chelsea versus Middlesbrough, which seems innocent and it's on its own, but you know, my first time being there to watch Chelsea play, um, and then just a couple of years ago when we beat Spurs in the FA Cup semifinal, just the the Modic smash and just the way it was like, you know, they thought that they were on cloud nine. It was their season. And then we just pegged them back and said, hey, you need to go back to your corner. Like we're going to Wembley. This is our thing. This is what we do. You you guys go back there and, and mess it up. So, yeah, they're all great. I mean, um that that FA Cup final against Spurs, you know, you, it's kind of weird because it gets overshadowed by uh, the Champions League and what was going on there, as does the final against Liverpool, I think. But yeah, you know, and I think it's very unfair. I I, I was I was uh, with Stu, definitely Stu, uh, quite possibly Pablo, Ross, maybe Cheltel for that one. And I just remember us laughing and laughing and laughing. I mean, not in my wildest dreams would I have thought we would humiliate and humble Spurs so massively in such an important match and also to shithouse it because the goal was clearly not over the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember that because it was just so funny. It was just euphoric because it was just so funny. Actually, the same with the, uh, you know, uh, the, the 6-0. Was it 6-0 or 6-1? I can never remember. Against Arsenal in Wenger's thousandth match. I don't think I've ever laughed so much at a match. And I did. I just laughed and laughed and laughed because we had that sending off with a mistaken identity. Hazard being just brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic. But um, I love the fact that you've got the Chelsea-Middlesbrough match in there and so so you should. Uh, but that, that Champions League match, you're absolutely spot. I was just thinking about what you were saying there. You know, I was there, obviously, and, and I remember... Again, it was just all going so so well. I mean, I say it was going so brilliantly. They were two nil up, so I think yeah, it was like shit. Now what? Uh, right, you know, because I was thinking, well, it was level. I think at that stage, wasn't it? And they would have gone through on away goals. Then Branner turns up as he, or, or, well, sorry, Drogba turns up as he so often did in the second half. Alex scores that absolute thunderbolt. So now we're back in the driving seat. So we're all euphoric again, and then bloody Lucas and Coit. Now they score at the other end. I'm in the I'm in the Matthew Harding upper, mm-hmm. and it was like utter confusion. It was like, well, now what? Are we? Uh, nobody seemed to know whether we were in or out. 
and then uh, uh, you know Lamps gets the lot you know our fourth goal on 89 minutes but it was just one of the most up and down bonkers matches I can ever remember and I think I think after that was that was the match afterwards that they played one step beyond and uh, I remember the Matthew Harding upper moving up and down literally oh man because it's cantilevered so yeah you know it moved it was moved it was bouncing literally it was just absolutely nuts um but uh, yeah great memories of that one really loved that good choices mate um so you know i i've kind of been I, I kind of assume that everybody's best moment is munich um but you know there are other best moments too mm-hmm. yeah i mean obviously munich is the is the peak and it wasn't my best match it's just it's an it's assumed for everyone um but for me, some of my the best moments I've had, you know, as a Chelsea fan, it's it's really when we I get to be in person with our friends. And so the first time it happened and it really exploded kind of my passion as well as when Chelsea came to Minneapolis a few years ago. Um, Nick and Dan came up. Uh, we worked with the Twin Cities Blues. We did some stuff at the pub. Uh, we went to the match. Uh, we met Simon Johnson, Nisar Kinsella. We, it really, for me, was like my first Chelsea event on that summer tour. And the amount of people that we got to meet and just relationships that were built was fantastic. And um, it kind of really gave me that kind of the, the bite. And then we did uh, London. And now we go back to London once or twice a season. And the groups that we bring, and then we get to combine these Americans and Australians and whoever with the fan cast lot. And, you know, and we, we take them to the stall, we take them to, you know, the pub, we do the stadium tour and just kind of helping them cement their roots in Chelsea as well. Kind of taking their journey that their pilgrimage that we've done. Um, It's such a strong bond. And like the people that we've gone on our trips, like we still talk to because it was such an impactful thing. And then obviously went to Boston for the exhibition match as well and met more people and and more experiences. So honestly, like, you know, the best part about the football and being a Chelsea fan is like for us, the anticipation of getting to go to London or, you know, going to the pubs week in, week out in, in the relationships, because those, those are far deeper than, than what goes on the pitch. And I know you obviously you preach that every, every week when, when football is going on, um, but it really, you know, getting to live it and, and see it in flesh is is so powerful. Totally right, and and that's what that's why I'm not. Well, I get why they have to come back, even if they play it behind closed doors. But that's that's why I'm, you know, for me, football isn't back until we can all go again because that that for me is the point of it. But I, uh, you know, I mean, I'm curious about um, what you think about the difference between a, a preseason match. Or even the Boston exhibition match, actually, and and you know a match over here because clearly you've sampled both, as mm-hmm. have I. Interestingly enough, and I'll tell you what I think after after you, I've heard from you. I mean, they're night and day. You know, I think the summer tour, you know, it has that has their objectives: get the get the guys fit, don't get injured, and sell a bunch of tickets. So when they come over here, they're a little bit more accessible. Um, you know, they'll invite fans to the training ground. They'll, um, you know, do some more extra media stuff. They will obviously, 
sell a bunch of sponsorship activations and, and try to, you know, jump on that. Um, but to be honest, like Chelsea, they'll come in and then they're gone. They're on the ground for maybe 72 hours. So like this, this euphoria kind of like peaks and then it just, it's gone. It washes away. Um, but the matches, you know, what you have seven, eight substitutions. Uh, you'd have no idea really who your starting lineup is at that point. When we went in Minneapolis, it was Antonio Conte had just joined. So we didn't really know what to, the team was going to look like either, you know? So it, anyways, it was interesting. Um, there's always some excitement too. She's like, Oh, what young players, Bertrand Traore back then was the one we thought would break through and he didn't. Um, so it's all games. You really kind of have your scouting hat on. You're like, who looks good? Who doesn't? Uh, I wonder what this season's going to be like. Tons of speculation. Um, and then you go to the bridge and you are in peak season mentality. The boys are crisp. They're sharp. Uh, it's a competitive match. Um, and, and obviously the atmosphere of Stanford bridge is far different from the atmosphere of a U.S. stadium. And they will never be the same because even if we had 15,000 diehard blues fans in there, the stadiums they play at are so big and have so many people just passing on through to see the spectacle it'll always get drowned out and there's never that 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 synergy from the entire stadium who knows what's going on and are connected uh it just doesn't happen here so it's very different in that aspect what do you think of the atmosphere in the in the grounds over here it i i like it it's very different um, to your typical American sports, because we just let anyone sit wherever we don't have home supporters and away supporters. Um, so, and, and, you know, our support way of supporting is really just yelling, clapping, you know, the, the big screen will say, get loud, you know, they'll do some animations. Um, but like no one's really supporting specific players and stuff. So with the chance, um, and I think the jeers and the whistles, it's, it's very different. Like your ability to communicate to the players and the managers and the opposing players is very different to what we have here. And since it can be much more concentrated or coordinated, I think it's a lot more impactful versus you're in an NFL stadium with 75,000 people and you want to rile the opposing player. There's no synergy. There's no cooperation. So it's just you and a couple of buddies hoping that, whatever you said made it down to the field. It's a very interesting point that um, I remember one of my, I didn't actually put it in one of my favorite chants. Maybe I, I can't remember, but I was at Bournemouth away the year of the horrible season when Mourinho got fired and it was all going horribly wrong. And uh, we'd been playing like crap. We beat Bournemouth. And uh, for this whole of the second half, all the away support just saying, beat fucking Tottenham. You better beat fucking Tottenham. Cause that was the match uh before and of course that was the match where we denied um spurs the title i think uh, when they duked mm -hmm. it out with leicester and and the players couldn't have failed to have got that message there's just no way they would have walked off that pitch without knowing what 3000 well actually for bournemouth 1200 chelsea fans thought but actually mm -hmm. spoke for the majority of chelsea fans so i think you're right that is very different i mean you know oddly uh, Brandon, and I, I've I've experienced a preseason game in the states because I happened to be out in LA in 2009, and I saw Chelsea play Inter Milan at the uh, the Rose Bowl, 
which mm-hmm. I was just huge. I was just massively chuffed to be out there. And, you know, I'm very well aware. I mean, you know, the Rolls Bowls where they had the World Cup in 1994. So I, I, I knew the stadium. Yeah. And I went along with Michael Roban and uh, we went to Lucky Baldwin's. Uh, before the game and it was just great fun and we'd only just started the podcast then mm-hmm. so you know I, I didn't presume that anybody would know who I was but there were loads of people in the garden they knew who I was they were all coming up I had an absolute riot my only criticism of uh, the pre-match was the fact that I actually figured out that day why football had never really taken off in the states do you want to know how Oh yeah, where's that? What'd we do? Because you don't have pubs next to the stadium, man. It took me so true. it took me nearly an hour to walk to the Rose Bowl from uh from Lucky Baldwin's in ninety degree heat. And I thought, no wonder this game has never taken off here. It, they need to start again and they need to build stadiums and have pubs next door like we do in England. No excuse. But other yeah. than that, you're right. The, the, you know, the pre match was superb. It was great fun and i think that I, what i felt was that there was you know because it doesn't happen very often people have made that i mean there were people there from vancouver you name it you know people traveled a long way to get there to have that sense of community to be with what is quite novel you know you, you're not going to like you're going to grow up in a town in in the midwest there's a good chance you're the only chelsea fan there so you know you don't have that ease of congregation if you like that we do so they'd made all this effort and they were so excited to be with each other, to be Chelsea in a pub garden before a Chelsea match. And I and I got that. It was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the match itself was an absolute load of arse gravy. I mean, you know, yeah. it was Carlo's first match in charge of Chelsea, funnily enough. And it was, uh, would you believe, against Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan. But the match was irrelevant. And, and it felt like that in the stadium. And, and you had a lot of, you know, American fans trying to get chants going. But you know they found it really hard and i I, you know so from that point of view it was awful but it didn't you know what it didn't matter it was an event Mm -hmm. and i really got a very interesting window on that so yeah i i i'm i'm not averse i think i think i can see why it's important if you see what i mean yeah and look i i know in the in the ideal world right that chelsea would stay in the UK and in Europe for their preseason logistically, but kind of your point, it's like you spend all these years, you know, watching from afar. And a lot of people like, it's obviously not cheap to go to London and to go to matches and to get tickets. And so this is kind of their chance, whether it's America, Australia, Asia, um, it's one of their only chances to have that physical connection with the club and I, I can all I can say is that it 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 just it it, it means so much uh, to the people who are able to travel maybe halfway across their country versus the world, uh, even just to see them and and soak it up and kind of it's their you know version of Middlesbrough for me. And so it's it is wildly impactful. And I would just say that with the modern sports science and the luxury travel that these guys are on, like they're doing okay. Like yeah. <laughs> they'll be all right. It, it, it was great. I mean, I had a great trip out there that, that week, but um, I also did a podcast. I recorded a, an episode of Chelsea Fancast in the Fox and Hounds in Studio City. Nice. Which was, which was great fun. And, and uh, with, with Roban and Paul Crowder, 
uh, who's a, an exile out there, works in in, in the film business out there. Is, who's uh, I kind of knew beforehand, I think. Yeah, I had. I, th- I can't remember. We go back a long way, but he he made the uh, the documentary about Pele and the and the North, you know, the, the NASL. That's so brilliant. yeah, but I also had Steve Cohen on the show, which is quite bizarre. Now, he he used to do the World Soccer Show at the time. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. the one that slagged off the Scousers and and was a bit of a Hillsborough <laughs> denialist, and then got yeah. run out of town by the the the, the rabid Scousers of the, of, of New York. It was like something out of gangs in New York. It was crazy. Now, when I was there, he had to leap off the podcast because he was getting, he had to take a call from the FBI because it was getting that serious about the threats he was getting. Well, that, that is a, an what a show. reality. What a oh show. My. And it was in the middle of the Fox and Hounds and it was like the pub was just going crazy. We were sat in the middle, yeah. of, we were sat in the middle of it with all the noise going on. It was great. Anyway, That's brilliant. we digress. Um, right. Favorite, uh, I would say, kind of, I say modern players, but I mean currentish players, I suppose. I know, right? And it's funny because my book of reference, you know, is I'm trying to answer these questions and not duplicate because I just have a, a shorter time span here. But you know, Eden Hazard at his best was absolutely world class, mind blowing. The things that he would pull off, the things he saw. So you know, it's it's hard not to love Eden Hazard. I love the bastard in Diego Costa. Absolute thrill. Didn't know what you're going to get on the day except goals and shithousery. And honestly, like, there's nothing better. There was nothing better than it. Because um, his goal record was it was phenomenal. Um, and he just had the attitude. And then his stuff on social media, like, biting firecrackers, his brother and his dog. Like, it was a whole package. Unco- you know, uncomparable. Um, but then, really, it, you know, for modern players – like we're on the brink of the youth movement. So I'm so excited. You know, we've got to talk to Mason mountain for Kyle Tamori. They are some of the most humble, like just down to earth people that we've gotten to talk to. Um, and so I'm so excited to see this new spine, hopefully be born through the Academy um, and, and see, and see where it goes. So from, you know, a modern player standpoint, I'm, I'm really as most Chelsea fans are, just waited with bated breath to see just how far Tammy, Mason, Reese, um, you know, all these guys can can kind of take Chelsea. It's, mm. it's brilliant. But your all-time hero still remains and will <laughs> always forever remain. Yeah, Petr Cech. I'm like Clayton's little, bro- little brother. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of like that, isn't it? It's like a generational thing. You are the bastard son of Clayton Beerman. There you go. He's got Benetti and yeah. I've got Big Pete. Yeah. Nice one. I like that. See, there you go, mate. Classic example of the goalkeepers union. You guys always <laughs> so sit <true>. together. <laughs> so true. Right. I like a tit forgot to ask you your worst Chelsea moment. So I'll just cut this in when I, when I get around to it. But uh, I, I know we've had the best uh, Brandon, uh, but uh, you can't uh, be a Chelsea fan without spirit experiencing the worst. And I think the interesting thing here, Brandon, it doesn't matter what decade you started supporting the club in or generation you come from. You cannot be Chelsea without experiencing absolute horribleness. Yeah. I mean, you know, thinking back, you know, we've had our bad results. Um you know, we've had our run-ins at the end of the season, didn't quite get it over the line. We've lost some cup finals, but to me, the one that that hit me the worst and the hardest had to have been the Champions League final in Moscow. 
against Manchester United. I was in college. I was full blown Chelsea at this point, as far as like my fanaticism and passion. Uh, I just remember watching it in my dorm and, you know, we, we got to the point of penalties, you know, Ronaldo had missed their golden boy had missed, right? Like, thank God I didn't have Twitter back then. Cause I would have put my foot so far in my mouth. But then JT just slipped in and missed. And then it didn't really matter what came next. Cause it was like, if JT didn't do it, it just had the worst, you know, foreshadowing ever. And obviously I think it was Anelka who missed later to, to seal it for them. But it was just the, the night, the way the match went, everything. But then just to have, it all teed up so perfectly for John Terry to do it. And no fault of his own, you know, he was wearing his umbros, he's wearing his metal studs. It was wet, like he was Mr. Chelsea and it didn't come off for him. And I think because of that circumstance, that's what made it hurt a lot more because I felt like I was carrying some of his pain. Um, but the team was phenomenal. We had deserved it fully and just couldn't quite get it over the line. And I had to turn my phone off. So then I was getting texts and things from my teammates and whatever. And I was just like, nope, not doing it. So uh, that one hurt the most, um, you know, and obviously losing to Manchester United in the European final, it, that, that added a little bit of salt in the wounds as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I funny enough, you know, I, I we we'd started the podcast literally about three weeks. Chelsea Fancast started about three weeks before that match, and as it happened, I couldn't I couldn't go because I had to work. I had a couple of days filming, uh, and I was filming directing a, like a six camera shoot mm-hmm. in a theatre. Would you believe uh, while the match was going on? And uh, I tried to. I had one of those little portable. TVs and uh, I was in this kind of gallery filming, you know, directing it all and I, so I got like six monitors with all the cameraman's feeds and none of which I actually fucking looked at for the entire duration of this filming <laughs> which is what I was being paid to do because I, I, I spent the whole time banging this kind of handheld TV trying to get a picture and all I could get was like white noise for the entire time and weirdly there were only two times when I got a picture one was when Ronaldo scored his goal and the other was when John Terry missed the kick. And I really didn't understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I got back to the hotel and this hotel was in it was near Liverpool, would you believe? So it, wasn't, it wasn't in Manchester. And there were loads of Man United fans there absolutely lodging and I just knew what had happened. And do you know what? I've still not watched the match today. I've heard you say that. I've not watched it. I've I, I've seen bits of it, but I've not watched uh-huh. it. Like I've not relived that experience. So there you go. And I'm not. And I don't regret it. And I, the other thing I was thinking about, uh, you know, modern day matches because nearly everybody's come up with the. I wouldn't say the obvious ones, but the real big hurts, like the 2009 in, uh, in the semi final against Barcelona, and mm-hmm. so on, so, or relegations. You know, I'm surprised that nobody has mentioned the six nil drubbing that City gave us. Uh, last season because I remember at the time you know one thing that I've always said about Chelsea and I've watched them a long time and I've seen them when they've been shit but you know what 
that was amongst the worst performances I've ever seen from a Chelsea side because they gave in after half an hour. They gave it up. Yeah. They they just packed it in and went home. And that I have never seen from a Chelsea side. And nobody's mentioned that. I think it's too recent. Just just we're just going over it. And look, the Brito Sari season was a whole thing in itself. It was almost like a, like a weird experiment gone wrong for Chelsea too. So um I was at work and after it was three, nothing after what 30 minutes I was done. I just was like, I'm going to go do my job. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think that those one-off matches though, Chidge, you can still kind of put into context of an entire season. Whereas the cup finals, they're the, they're the peak, they're the crest. It's what everything kind of comes down to. And so I think your emotions and your investment are so much higher because you get drummed by Man City, like, all right, well, good thing we have Bournemouth next week. We're going to pound them and get back at it. But with that, you know, like, that's it. The cup final, you go into summer and either you feel like a hero or, you know, you have to deal with Man United singing the whole summer. Well, I was, t- I was talking to Rick Glanville about this very subject and I said I could have actually rephrased the best and the worst questions in this as what are the times when Chelsea have made you cry? yeah you know either out of joy I mean I I, I cried I cried when we won the league in 2005 although I wasn't there Mm -hmm. and I cried when we won the European Cup in Munich Um, I don't think I've been driven to tears by how bad they've been I usually just get really angry but you know (laughs) I know I know many friends who you know cried when Wilkins uh, was sold or when we've got relegated Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like that. So it could have been rephrased completely as well. What matches have made you, or what moments have made, so made you cry as a Chelsea fan? So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, right, uh, final question, which is kind of amongst my favourite actually. And I know, I know you boys love a bit of a sing song. So what is what is your favourite Chelsea songs? Well, obviously, again, I'm pulling from a, a shorter list here than you guys. Unless you've and read I've... Marco and Walter's book, Carefree. And I have it. Oh, you've got, just, have you I've, read it? Yeah. No, I've got oh. a stack of Marco's books. He's way too generous. Every time we go there, I buy four and he gives me four. So I, I like on my I bookshelf, know. I've got his whole collection, but I'm, I'm blessed to have it. He's lovely. Um, and I know you guys were talking about it recently. So that's, it's, it's working its way up. It's the list as well. But, um, you know, I, I honestly, I just, I love the John Terry won the double chant. Um, I love that it praises a player who gave absolutely everything to the club. I love the positivity. It talks about our, uh, you know, our rich history and winning trophies. To me, it just checks a lot of the boxes of you can sing that wherever. And it just reminds whoever we're playing, who we are, what we do. And we do it through John Terry. Um, now I love a good, you know, shit chant at the at the other side um kind of one of our funny ones is we went to fulham because we're in london we wanted to go watch a championship match i think i actually no it wasn't fulham leeds but anyways is fulham and they would just every time the goalkeeper went to kick it on the opposite team they go "Ooh, your shit every time he kicked it and we just laughed the whole time because we thought that was the funniest thing it was so simple and he knew it that goalkeeper knew it was coming but just every time it just, it chuffed us. So um, like I said, there, there's so many out there, but I do love the JT double. 
It's funny, yeah. Well, I love that song. I, I actually, well, Stuart Norman, one half of the Blues Brothers, uh, when he was on the on the podcast many years ago, uh, he kind of lays claim to of inventing and inventing that. And I know for a fact that as we were walking out along Wembley Way, right after we'd beaten Everton to get the double, that we were singing that in the queue all the way back. Oh man! So I remember that. And talking of. Um, you know, wait, I remember going to an uh, just funny enough because I had an American with me, Michael Roban. He wanted to see a, a live game that weekend. Chelsea weren't playing that weekend, and the only match in London was Brentford. So we went to Brentford and we mm-hmm. sat in their kind of home, you know, the equivalent of the shed end. And uh, they were rubbish. None of them sang. So me and Michael got them singing, and it was a terrace, so you could stand up. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they weren't singing. So me and Michael kind of led the singing, <laughs> even though we weren't Brentford fans. And another Brentford story, when we played them in the Cup in the Benitez year, which is one of the best games I've ever been to, just for sheer fun. Uh, but uh, Ross Turnbull was in goal for us. And we all mm-hmm. we stood behind him. The whole of that end was singing, Ross Turnbull's won the European Cup, European Cup. <laughs> Ironically. and But bless his heart, poor Ross. He thought we were, he thought we were sincere. It was kind of, I feel almost bad for doing it now. But I don't yeah. know. Hey-ho. Um, I can... I say I can plug that. Is this the right time to say I don't think we should sing Tottenham's name in the liquidator? You can say that. that. You, can, you could have said that. For the, <laughs> you could have said that for the last fifty minutes, and I would have roundly applauded it, Brandon, because uh, you're absolutely right. It makes them out to be bigger than they deserve to be. I agree. And it's and the liquidator is the liquidator. You don't need to be singing "We Hate Tottenham." Sing "We Hate Tottenham" when we play Tottenham. All match long. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, talking of songs, I mean, after we'd, we'd, uh, the whistle went, um, you know, in Munich, when we when we beaten Munich in the Champions League final, that's one of my favourite moments, is that very soon after that, we all started singing, Are You Watching Tottenham? Because they're just we just knocked them out, effectively, the Champions League. That's the time uh, to, to dig the yeah. shit out of Tottenham, you know, not it's- during our own liquidator. I totally agree with you. Yeah, uh, Brandon, I I have thoroughly enjoyed this. It's it's really lovely actually to have such a completely different perspective on on somebody's journey, you know, to Chelsea. It really has been great fun, and of course, as ever, lovely to talk to you. Yeah, no, it's a blast. I, you know, I feel you know very special to be included in this list because the the people that you've had on and are going to have on, I just I love the stories, and you know, we t- talked a little bit at the top of you know, how this weird break in football has given us an opportunity to do something different. And I love hearing the fan stories. So, you know, also just as a listener and a fan, thank you for being able to, you know, put these out on your platform because they've been absolutely brilliant to listen to. And I know mine will be a bit different from those, but I like that. I like that. There's a lot of different, you know, paths around, but it's at the end of the day, we all come back for Chelsea and, and the family, um, that surrounds it. So thank you to everyone who who are in it as well, because without the community, there's nothing here. Well, as Joe Strummer said, without people, we're nothing. Mm-hmm. But I'm particularly glad to get an American on because I've known for many, many years actually how important the support of the Americans. I mean, and you know, everybody around the world, but I, I happen to know a lot of Americans who love Chelsea. And one thing I found very, very early on is that their support of this club is no different from ours. They're just not lucky enough to be here. You know, mm-hmm. but they get it, and and I've I've known that for a long time. So for me, it was really important to get an American voice on this that. series, and I'm very glad it could be you. No, I'm honored, absolutely honored. Thank you, Chidge.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.